Hello and welcome into episode 10 of the Stomp the Bus Show. I am Mark Harris with my co-host Colton Dodgson uh, coming to us from Mars. I like the red glow. How's it going, bud? Yeah, they call me Elon Musk. Um, not bad. You know, I didn't sleep through this podcast, so that's always a win to wake up in time. Um, yeah, happy, happy to be back on the show. Um, you know, I'm sure the last one went excellent when you were flying solo and everything. So, uh, but I'm happy, I'm happy to be here for you, Mark. That's why I do it. Yeah, I definitely didn't repeat myself a bunch of times at all, but, uh, made it through barely. I watch every episode. I'm, I'm yeah, always, I'm always in the lab trying to hone and perfect my craft. So that's right. Uh, what's funny is in the, in the last episode I shot on using the, my computer's like camera tool and the file was so, big like it would have taken youtube like a whole day to upload it so i had to shoot it again using zoom and when i recorded when, when i recorded alone with zoom it was fine so yeah anyway if only, if only uh, pied piper was real pied, i was like what are you talking about and i was like oh it's a, yeah, a little i almost said workaholics i'm a silicon valley reference but yeah anyway as you lost over the weekend to uh, Oklahoma State. And, you know, it's it's kind of a weird game because it wasn't as – the game itself wasn't as lopsided as the final score indicates, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, – I believe it was, like, late in the third quarter, ASU cut it down to a one-touchdown uh, one game. It was, early in, it was early in the fourth. Okay. So, like, so right – So, if, if you say that ASU – made it a game in the fourth quarter, you're not lying because they made it uh I want to get the exact Yeah, it was just an issue of them. Yeah, fourteen twenty five first thirty it was like the probably like the second play in the fourth quarter, but um yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I I had had a few beverages at that point. Um so obviously the the minutiae of the whole ordeal um is is kind of fuzzy, but I'm pulling up the box score now. I can tell you that I did have a And M uh, minus nineteen and a half, which was oh, ridiculous. No. Um, well, I also had I also had BYU minus okay. three and a half, but I also parlayed it with the over. Um, so anytime a game goes to double overtime, it stays under. What? What what was the over? Because the final score is forty would have been forty six. Yeah, it was. I think I want to say it was like fifty three and a half. Uh, um, so obviously hoping for those touchdowns and then. Um, it's tough. The, the yeah, because we you know you need Baylor to score and then miss a two point conversion so that they can go again. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a nightmare. But anytime you get to two overtimes and stay under, that's asinine. Um, but here, I finally found the box score, so I can stop. Uh, talking about my misfortune as a means to fill time. Filibustering. Yes. So, yeah, Elijah Badger made it seven, 20 to 17 in the fourth yep. quarter. So, obviously, uh, cut it down to three points. And, I mean, was ASU was within, let's see, 17 to three in the second quarter, right before half. Uh, X Valade scores and cuts it to a one score game. Yep. They, they stayed in it for most of the, most of the game in well, a hostile environment. Yep. And they stayed in it 
despite – look, they were way too conservative, especially in the second quarter and parts of the – like where they would just run it three times in a row. I mean, I know we're a running team, but you can't do that. Like you, especially when they – like there were big portions of this game where they just weren't creating wide holes, you know. And um, now now they did run it a little bit better on the uh, touchdown drive. I think Valde had a big draft, a big run somewhere later in the game. Um, and then Oklahoma State, like, uh, well, I mean, they're a good team. They're not, like I said, they aren't, like, world beaters, but um, they're definitely a good team, better team than ASU. And I'll give them credit, like, that that last Hail Mary, uh, not Hail Mary, uh, flea flicker they called on the ensuing drive after ASU scored a touchdown. That was a really good play call. <laughs> like, they dialed it up at the exact right time, and it worked, you know. So, And I think ASU covered the uh, the deep man, and that's why Sanders hit the guy running the crosser, too. So it's like they even kind of defended it somewhat well. Yeah, you know, and obviously OSU spread, uh, covers the spread, so uh, that's never good, especially if you were you were taking the, uh, the Devils as dogs there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that, a pretty close game. I mean – didn't get out of hand until 741 in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the flea flicker kind of took the wind out of uh, the sails there, and it, it kind of felt like that was yeah. You know, nail that, was a, that was a death blow. They at yeah. that point, I think I texted you this that like at that point you're just hoping to cover. Exactly. Yeah, it was over. It was over at that point. Um, but still, stayed in there. I mean, obviously, going to Stillwater. That's where it is, right? Yep, yep. I never know with these these college towns. But, yeah, Stillwater and making it a game for, you know, three quarters in some change. 50 minutes, yeah. you know. Yeah, defense played really well until, yeah. you know, the fourth quarter. So I so. I want to talk about that. The defense played incredible. I, like, I don't care that they scored 34. Well, okay, incredible is a little too strong. The defense played very well and incredible, especially in the first half. And – I know they gave up 17 points in the first half. Um, yes, they did. I think my biggest my but, biggest beef with the defense, there was a couple of just ridiculous penalties. Which well, the was, one, yeah, the one on, um, there was one on one of their drives in the second quarter that was erupting the passer that was, like, super obvious. And Yeah, I think that happened. I'm okay twice. with ones that are ticky-tacky, but not ones that are, like, yeah, you can't do that, you know. And I think that happened twice where um, – whoever was applying pressure after the ball was clearly out of Spencer Sanders' hands, just, like, picked him up and threw him or just, like, pushed him for no reason. And it's, like, those are those are the moments that continue to plague this team. And, obviously, they weren't necessarily back-breaking, but there were definitely some moments where penalties that, yeah. you know, you 10 think – 95 yards. Yeah, you think differently in that moment. I mean – or yeah. you, you're a little more disciplined in that moment. Who knows? Maybe they don't go on a scoring drive in the second quarter or whatever it is. Or they just kick a field goal instead of getting a touchdown. Right, right. Those those calls are the difference. And I, yeah. I saw a no, couple of them where – I mean, football is obviously – you just mentioned it. It's a very, you know, violent game as it is. You're going to have moments where those ticky-tack calls and officials are trying to, you know, make their presence felt or whatever it is. Um, but those obvious lapses where guys are just throwing quarterbacks and stuff, they just can't happen. And, yeah. Um, that that was something that stood out as like that's what you need to clean up. And who knows what the game? It, it Oklahoma State probably still wins this game, 
But right, is, it, right. is it much closer in the fourth quarter if, um, you know, somebody pulls up at the last second instead of lowering a shoulder into yeah. Spencer Sanders? Who knows? But Well, so, yeah, about the penalties, like it definitely – it didn't feel like the BYU game from last year because a lot of these penalties the, – the thing that I think really incenses fans is, like, procedural penalties, like false start penalties. Um, I think a lot of times fans can, like, get over – especially in college because it's only a 15-year penalty. Uh, like, the, the the borderline pass interference penalty that gets thrown. I think Asia had a few of those in this game. It was that, like – don't get me wrong. Ten penalties, no matter how it happens, is bad and not acceptable. But – it's also not like I didn't I didn't have the same feeling watching the game this time as I did last year. And granted, some of that is just I just don't have as high of expectations for this team as I do last year's team. And so right, I think I that think that is like that is like a complete anomaly though. That game against BYU is like uh, yeah, that was so bad. I, I don't even want to get into of. it. But yeah, yeah, um, but that but that's what I'm saying is like. Something like this obviously isn't going to be as bad as that because that was so astronomical. Right, right, yeah. But there was still those – and procedural penalties and stuff like that are, are – I mean, that stadium is extremely difficult to play in and everything like that. But those are ultimately still discipline penalties, right? right? You have to be prepared for that situation. You have to know what you're going into. You have to understand that, like, work out some sort of system so you're not jumping off sides every – or, uh, and they didn't really do that this game. Penalties. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying yeah, in, yeah. in the BYU game, those are right. those are also discipline penalties, and we saw those in this game as well. Yeah. yeah. With those pa- those roughing the passer calls, so it, it seems like it hasn't bitten them as hard this year. And maybe that's that has a little bit to do with the level of uh, experience that's on this roster as opposed to last year. But you're still seeing it. Um, obviously, in a little more. Um, I guess in a little more modest of a dose than last year, but it's still, it's still making an impact. And that's why I'm not super upset about it. Cause like you said, I don't think it was the difference in them winning the game. Yeah. Um, It's not like it cost them, you know, the last drive, but still you wonder. And it's like when, when like you said, when, I mean, if it's a ticky tack call where it's like, okay, they like, there is some contact. It could have gone either way, whatever. Then it's like, okay, that's just the nature of the game. But when you're watching a guy fully extend after the ball is clearly out of a quarterback's hand, yeah, and no, it's, clearly believe, like, yeah. it's clearly like a frustration thing, then, you know, that's that's where it really costs you. And it prolonged drives, you know, like they're – Well, yeah, defense, for sure. The defense um, sort of commanded the, the – or, or, or sort of um, – <laughs> I don't know, ran the show a little bit in the beginning, played extremely well, uh, sort of dominated the tempo of the game a little bit. It seemed like every time OSU got the ball back, um, ASU was there to, to, to shut them down or whatever. But then, you know, if those drives are, are prolonged by penalties, like the ones that we saw there early in that game, I think they were both in the first half. Um, it, it's hard to continuously stall drives when you're giving teams more and more opportunities. So. 100%. Um, I think the play you're talking about, and I, I got it pulled up on the drive chart here. This is in the second quarter. The score is, at this point, uh, it is 10-3 to 3 right now, Oklahoma State. 
So if you end up holding them to, uh, I don't know what that noise is, but I'm, um, my ads, my my ads are muted, oh. but every time it refreshes, it like plays for a second. It's annoying. I don't know what yeah. to do, but it just keeps happening. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's fine. Anyway, yeah, um, at this point in the game, Oklahoma State is up 10-3, and they're facing a third and 10 on ASU's 43-yard line. So this is like kind of the last chance before they get into field goal range type of territory. Uh, they had had a run for no gain and an incomplete pass. Third I'm sorry. There we go. No problem. Anyway, it <sighs> It was, I believe, a third – it was an incomplete on that third and ten, but like we were Dude, talking I'm about – having some the tough passer. technical difficulties. Here we go. I think okay. I got it. Okay. See anyway, that on that on that third and ten play – Oh, my God. You don't want us to talk about this individual play. No, I know. <laughs> go ahead. I, it should be fine, though, I think. No, it, it, it's fine. Anyway. Third and ten, ASU forty-three, nine minutes left in the fourth, basically, and I believe it was an incomplete pass, but they get the first down because it it was a roughing the passer on Joe Moore, uh, who's been good this year for ASU. Like it's a it's a young player mistake. Like, and so and that extended the drive, and they um, they uh, you know take a seventeen to three lead in the halftime, and that's just a lot more. Yeah. Also okay. a fumble. I was looking at I forgot else. about the fumble in the first quarter that set up the the first uh, Oklahoma State scoring drive, and that's gonna happen, you know. It, it, it but it seems like after that fumble, it's it's OSU touchdown, ASU punt, OSU touchdown, ASU punt, OSU field goal. That kind of just opened the floodgates. It all happened after that ex validate fumble. Um, yeah. Which is unfortunate, but, and obviously it's it's not like. That was, that's that the reason the they lost the game, but that very well could have served as a momentum swing right there. Right. Um, third and one, ex Valade about to run, uh, you know, has a shot at the first down, fumbles the ball. Uh, yeah, no, it was OSU picks, it, and that's deep in ASU territory too. It's, you know, that ball's recovered on the ASU 39, so a short field for the the Cowboys and. You know, it's just ASU punt after ASU punt. It, it wasn't until the second quarter that they they made it. Well, and look, like yeah. we can, you're, you 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 get to the point, like especially early on in this game, ASU's drives, field goals, eight plays, seventy eight yards. That was a great first drive, but they also they missed an opportunity to go up seven nothing early. And I, you know, Emory Jones played a pretty good game, but he missed uh, Messiah Swinson on a like a post route in the end zone, just kind of threw it a little bit behind him. Um, and that's four points off the board, you know. And then the next possession, punt. Next possession, punt. Next possession after an interception, punt. After, and then they fumble, and now, okay, Oklahoma State um, scores on a 37-yard drive. ACU's only down 7-3. Punt on the next drive. And then this is the one. Oklahoma State goes 12 plays for 96 yards in three minutes, and they they go up 14-3 to with – uh, 245 left in the first half. Um, ASU punted after that one, too. And then this is the drive I was talking about where uh, mm. it was second and 10 at the 50. Spencer Sanders passing complete. It was the uh, Joe Moore. Put, he, like, pushed him on his back. Yeah. That. And so, but the thing is, like, ASU needed to – ASU just flat out needed to score more 
early in the game when they had the momentum because it would have given them a bitter, a bigger lead earlier on. Like even if they had just gotten 10 points that you, you score the first touchdown and then maybe on one of their other ensuing drives in the first quarter, you get a field goal. Um, not only does that give you obviously more than three points at halftime, it gives you, it gives your defense more time to rest and a, a more rested defense throughout this game um, holds Oklahoma State under 34 points. Like, there's no way that they score as much as they do. That you could – and look at the drives here. After the first drive, eight plays, 78 yards. Second drive, they start on their own 28, and they get to the Oklahoma State 44, five plays, 31 yards. If they had gotten, like, 10, 15, 13 more yards on that drive – then you're within reasonable field goal range. So that then you could have gone up uh, ten nothing. But then the next drives five play or three plays six yards, five plays nineteen yards, three plays seven yards fumble, five plays twenty two yards. Yeah. You no. Know? Um, three and plays negative four yards, and then end of half one play negative one yard, and then yeah. in the second half they were moving the ball a lot better to come out of the half. Although they did have some three and outs as well. You know what's interesting, and since you pointed out that 12-play, 96-yard drive, I started looking at it a little more. Um, even on the previous touchdown drive, Oklahoma State's first touchdown drive, it's Dominic Richardson run, Dominic Richardson run, Spencer Sanders run, Dominic Richardson exactly. run. It's it's all running the ball. They had no – Because um, their passing attack was not like – It wasn't like – it was, it was not – it was basically non-existent. It wasn't the getting the game. But. Early and then once you get to this twelve play ninety six yard drive here, Spencer Sanders. So well, he had a great pick. I mean, for a linebacker, yeah. what do you have to, to have two picks? Like he's he's played very well. Like I think he yeah, was named, he like, has all had he has had a couple a couple but, good games. But you you get to this twelve play drive here and it's yeah Richardson run for no gain. Spencer Sanders completes a pass for nine yards, but then it's just run run run. And once you get to um. Not the the pass interference call, although that prolongs the drive as well. It would have been third and three at the Oklahoma State 24 um, had there not been, you know, a penalty called. But you keep going down the list here. It's a run play, a run play. Spencer Sanders incomplete. You can go down until the roughing the passer call where Mm -hmm. uh, he was obviously shoved out of bounds. And that seems to sort of – I don't know if that, like, jump-started him a little bit. I, I don't know if that played a bit of a mental role. On getting him fired it does up, a or, lot of times. That's what I'm saying. It's like getting him fired up, or or knocking the rust off a little bit. Maybe he's like, he's like, okay, I I got it. Who knows what mental role that penalty played? But you can look at that penalty and every play after that penalty. He's you know 19 yards to Bryson Green. Obviously another incomplete pass, but then you know things kind of open up a little bit. Obviously there's another penalty on the the field goal drive. Um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe that maybe that intensity picked up a little bit after that penalty, and, and that had another impact. But that's just another well, layer. And the thing is, like, to go on the road and beat a team like this, you, you you need to play like a complete game. And so that that's why I mentioned on that first drive, Emory Jones has to hit Swinson in the end zone for a touchdown on that play. Yeah, so you you need to get the points you can get them, and you also can't give them second chances like these roughing the passer penalties. And I, I look. I get that not all roughing the passer penalties are the same in terms of their severity, but the one that we are bringing up, it was just so obvious, and there was no like, no gray area. But anyway, 
Um, one thing I do want to mention, um, Elijah Badger, this was his breakout game. I mean, he looked, he looked awesome. And, yeah. um, Emory Jones, definitely not his best game, but he, he, he looked pretty good. I mean, I think they should have thrown the ball more. Um, it seemed like, I know he went 12 for 24, 223 yards and a touchdown, no picks. Maybe I'm remembering the game wrong, but it felt like at times they needed to, uh, lean on his arm and his legs a little bit more. No designed runs, I don't really remember for Emory Jones, maybe one or two, but um, so we'll see. But Valde, 21 carries, 118 yards. He had, he had a good game. And then, hey, Giovanni Sanders, he led the team in receiving. He had the, the big uh, big play uh, in the early in the third quarter, getting wide open, almost scoring a really long touchdown. Um, I mean, this is a great story for him. He's former JUCO guy, uh, walk-on, and now he has a full scholarship. He wasn't even really doing that much on the team last year, I mean, and now he's maybe their second-best receiver. So good yeah, for definitely. him. And I, I remember in the offseason we were talking about possible guys who were going to step up, and I remember talking about uh, the Vanderbilt guy quite a bit. Yeah, uh, he hasn't done much. He, he hasn't, you know, he didn't even show up on the box for in this game. But we also talked about the younger guys and obviously mentioned Elijah Badger as a possible guy. But, you know, I felt like uh, I felt like there was going to be somebody who sort of came out of nowhere and maybe Giovanni Sanders is that guy. There was a lot of opportunity for it um, with no, you know, clear sort of uh, guy who was going to take over in the, the passing game. So, um, having another option is definitely good. ESPN needs to fix their ads, man. This is insane. I'm yeah. getting off this page so it doesn't happen anymore. No, it's fine. But yeah. Um, and obviously Messiah Swinson and, and all these guys. So it's good to see options yeah. start to, start to like, you know, develop and things like that. Uh, and it's, it's nice to get, have a game like that early on in the season. Uh, where these guys have to go into a hostile environment and face adversity, of, yeah, yeah, face adversity, grow on the on the fly, so to speak, and yeah. uh, now they go in and, and play Eastern Michigan. And I told you this was my favorite betting spot for ASU on the season. Um, getting you know twenty points against Eastern Michigan still doesn't feel like that much. So no, uh, I, I can tell you, I will probably be betting ASU against the spread in this game. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. Oklahoma State did their job for me. I appreciate it. So one thing you we, – we talked about them facing a hostile environment. I feel like this ASU team, even though they didn't – maybe I'm just pulling this out of thin air, but I feel like they responded better to adversity in this game than they did last year, even though they didn't win. Um, Definitely. I mean, you, and you can see it on the defense. Like, even I, look, I get it. They allowed 34 points in the end. But 14 of those were in the fourth quarter when they were just gassed mm-hmm. because the offense just wasn't effective uh, due to you know a mid-tier Power Five ta- like talented offense and in my personal opinion being way too conservative at certain points in the game. Right, and you you have to play complementary. If you don't, you're really hanging one side of the yeah. ball out to yeah. dry, and that's what happened again against a good team. I think Oklahoma State's. I think they're up to like number eight in the AP poll now. I mean, granted, it's early, but um, that there is a chance. There is a chance that that is the best team ASU plays all year. I don't think. It, I think USC uh, when they play USC, that'll be the best team. Um, 
But maybe, I mean, this this is probably one of the, I don't have the ASU schedule up in front of me right now, but it's probably at, probably at least the at least in the top two of toughest defenses they'll play. Because USC's defense is not as good as this. I mean, we yeah, saw that over the weekend as well. Um, yeah, and I mean, obviously playing Utah, I don't have their defensive numbers in front of me, but that would yeah, be Yeah, it, it'll either be Oklahoma State or Utah, but you're playing Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma State on the road, and you're not as yeah. familiar with them. No, for sure. That, granted, that, they're not as familiar with you either, so it goes both ways. Yeah, and I, you know, I think this the season is kind of shaping up exactly how we thought it might when we did our little schedule prediction thing. Yeah. Um, the, I think, obviously, they'll roll in this game, and then... Utah, it's going to be extremely interesting. I, that's a compelling game. I yeah, think. it's more compelling. Look, I said I said they don't have a chance at winning. I still kind of believe that, but it's going to be much more compelling than I thought it was going to be entering the year. Um, and some of that's because Utah's a little a smidge worse than I thought they were going to be, but also ASU is a probably a smidge better than I thought they were. Going to be. So um, that's a good point. Like. I had them going six and six. You had them going seven and five. Looking through this team, through the prism of they're going to be like in terms of the record, a fairly average power five team. They are moving along swiftly. Now, yeah. if it, that's kind of to their benefit that they have such low expectations, people are picking them to go three and nine, um, worse than the Pac-12, which that's not going to happen because of Colorado. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, Colorado lost forty-one to ten to Air Force last week, and their I think their quarterback went five of twenty-one. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I but, think I think Colorado might have been favored in that game too. No, they weren't. Oh, they weren't. I thought Air Force I, I thought was a seventeen-point favorite. Oh, okay. Maybe I read it backwards. Yeah, I, yeah. dude. It's, For some reason, I don't know. Yeah, but no, anyway, they they are terrible. Like, I get that ASU football right now is definitely not, you know, at 100% full strength in terms of how it could be operating. Um, but Colorado is, like, at 0% because they're – they don't play an FCS team this year either. Colorado was their uh, lowest level game, and they might be the best team in the Mountain West. They already lost to TCU. And then this week they had Minnesota, who's a good team, might cool. win the Big Ten West. And then they have Colorado. a Pac-12 schedule. So, Does Colorado win a game this year? No, I I want to I here, let me pull up their schedule real quick. I'm yeah, gonna, you've got Minnesota, then UCLA, no. then U of okay, A. They're not beating either of those teams. No, then U of A, which I don't think they're beating. No, I don't look. It would be hilarious if they did beat U of A. I, I would I'll, I will be rooting for them to beat U of A, but they will that's, not. Beat that's that's in Tucson. No, oh, there's no no chance. And then Cal. In at Bo- Cal, uh, I can't speak. Cal in Boulder. I give them um, like a fifteen percent chance to win. Like I, I can conceive conceivably believe they win that game, but Cal is their only shot. Looking at this schedule, it goes Cal, Oregon State, ASU, uh, ASU Oregon, Oregon, USC, Washington, Utah. Cal is their only shot to win a game this season if they don't beat Minnesota, and I don't think they are. No. So not only so not only that in this version of the schedule they also didn't miss Oregon and Washington from the north like like how ASU misses Oregon this year they don't play them yeah and this Cal is, has to play both Oregon and Washington both can be good 
This is a brutal schedule. That is absolutely brutal. Um, This schedule is, like, insane. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's tough. So, uh, I wonder if there's a a bet on a team to go 0-13. Maybe maybe on some uh, overseas books. Got to hit up Connor um, at Bet Rivers. Yeah. (laughs) I bet he could find something, give you a custom bet. Uh, So... ASU, look, they're kind of on the same pace. I'd say they're on a, a, a little bit better pace than kind of we both expected through two games. Um, they, 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 it was a game in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma State, and that is not a fan saying it. Like, obviously, we're fans and we want them to win you know, in general. But that was look, they it was seven, it was twenty to seventeen in the fourth quarter against what is now a top ten team. You know, don't throw any parades about it. You still lost. You, 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 you know, you still got doubled up in the scoreboard. But um, I'm not like I, I and I looking at the reaction on Twitter. People were kind of having the same reaction we had. No one really expected them to win, and it's all about just what. How are you going to look when you play? You know, the kind of the mid tier teams on your schedule when you play. Washington State, when you play Oregon State, who maybe isn't mid-tier, because they're too by U of A. Hey, watch your mouth with Oregon State, man. They've been my cash cow so far. Yeah. You, Vegas, Vegas hasn't caught up. Vegas hasn't caught up with Oregon State yet. Dude, so Oregon keep, State is so fun to watch. Yeah, keep riding the Oregon Their tight State. tight end is good, too. Musgrave, he's a beast. Yeah, yeah. that uh, that Boise State game. Once They were, they were at a pick last weekend. Well, they um, should have been was, in a pick. It took them the last play of the game for them to win. Yeah, but that was like – it felt like too much of a layup. I don't know. I just have <laughs> – and obviously it came down to the last play, but going into that game, I was, there's no way. This this is too easy. Um, but I think Vegas will catch up eventually, and uh, we won't – you know, the, the, the train will stop rolling. But until yeah. it does, ride Oregon State until the wheels fall off. I believe it. Um, the Montana so anyways, State Bobcats. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Anyway, wrapping up this uh, Oklahoma State discussion, um, ASU kind of looks is kind of for this individual season of go six and six, go seven and five. They're on. They kind of look on track to do that. The defense looks good. Like this, this game could have been a lot worse. Like the defense really held them in there for a lot of times. Like they made. They made life difficult for Oklahoma State early on in the game when they weren't gassed. So, um, anyway, one and one after two weeks. Pretty much everyone expected that. And now we are off to Eastern Michigan. Um, Eastern Michigan also enters the game at one and one. I looked up their first win. They beat. Um, Wait, the that's a home game, isn't it? For ASU? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you said Saturday, off to Eastern the Michigan. Um, I think it's like oh, Saturday. No, I know. You just said off to Eastern Michigan. So oh, yeah, that was like a – Oh, like a Belichick, a Belichick Like an on to Cincinnati, yeah. Okay. Hey, be a little more clear. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, There's a little reference. Yeah. Inside joke. Uh, anyway, it's Eastern Michigan. It's a great podcast. Yeah. Eastern Michigan one and one as well coming out of the MAC. They beat uh, 
Eastern Kentucky, which is an FCS team in week one, um, 42 to 34. So they gave up 34 points to an FCS team. And then they went to Louisiana on the road and got beat 49-21. So, like I said earlier, this is a mid-tier of five team, and ASU should beat them by 20-plus points like they're favored to do. Play the points. Yeah. Um, game starts 8 o'clock Arizona time on the Pac-12 network. Good, good, uh, good game to put on the Pac-12 network. <laughs> I would say. Uh, Eastern Michigan also had 10 penalties last week, 10 for 85 yards. Louisiana had 12 for 115 and won by 28 points. Eastern Michigan gave up 459 total yards, 149 on the ground, 310 through the air. So they're not very good. You know, they they went 7-6 and last year. Um, So they're just kind of like – they're making bold like they're just kind of a one of those they're one of those group of five teams that plays on like the very first like five few bowl games you know like the bad boy mowers bowl or the bowl in the bahamas um which would actually be like one of the bad best boy bowl games to go to. dude i i you, you know that that's a real bowl they, they, oh i'm i'm aware i'm aware it's, a, it's an excellent it's an excellent name yeah it's all all these random bowls like there, I think there's a bowl that's in like Shreveport every year. The Mark Harris Speedo Torpedo Bowl or what? Dude, we dude, I, I'd be down. Yeah. First the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, then the Mark Harris, the Mark Harris Speedo Torpedo Tacoma Bowl. There we go, and it, it's played in the the Tacoma Dome. There, yeah, dude, you could exactly have it in the Tacoma Dome, and you could, you know, it wouldn't matter if, that it's December in Western Washington. <laughs> Did the Seahawks ever play in the Tacoma Dome? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. But the Sonics did in the. I, it was the 1994 season when they were renovating. Uh, they were renovating Key Arena for a little. Climate Pleasure Arena. Obviously, they didn't do a good enough job renovating it before they had to leave because of said arena. So. Yeah, imagine your arena so bad, a team decides Oklahoma would be a more suitable location. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have to imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> you lived it. Thanks a lot, David Stern, for letting that happen, but then blocking the Kings from moving to Seattle. Thanks a lot, bud. Uh, anyway. <laughs> the NBA uh, podcast, now. Yeah. Uh, Eastern Michigan quarterback Taylor Powell, he's a senior, uh, threw for 317 yards in the touchdown, but also threw for three interceptions. So. ASU's defense should be able to get some interceptions off this guy. Um, ASU should boat race them in this game. Like, and one thing I want to see is the, the ASU needs to use this game as an opportunity to get more in-game reps for the passing game with Emory Jones. Because you're not going to be able to beat USC just only running the ball, or Utah for that matter. Yeah, I feel like from what I've seen out of – uh, USC, maybe, I guess I really only watched them in that Rice game. I was preoccupied last weekend with, with some other uh, well, they, terrible games. They, I, I think in the Stanford game they scored touched Because that game, I think that game was going on as the ASU game was going on, so I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to look it up real quick. I think they scored touchdowns on their first five drives. So oh, Okay, but this is what I was going to say, is they still gave up 28 points. Exactly, right? yes. That, yeah. I, I mean, 14 in the fourth quarter when the game's – 
already 35 to 14. Um, but you know, you can score on USC. Oh, totally. it, it can happen. It, it's not impossible. Um, they're, but they'll they're, score they're obviously going to score a ton yeah. too. Um, that's, that's a given, but I feel like ASU has the advantage defensively against USC. Um, yeah, ASU 100% has a better defense. The question is, is the gap between the ASU defense as big as the gap between the USC offense and the ASU offense? Because obviously USC has a better offense than ASU does. Yeah. And USC's I mean, offense gonna... is still, still going to be the best of those four units in that game. But how much worse yeah. is the USC defense on the other side? That's really You're great. definitely going to need to force turnovers, and you're going to need to capitalize on those turnovers. And who knows if they're going to be able to do that. So. Well, anyway, um, regarding Eastern Michigan, just beat them and beat them by 30 points. You can cover the spread very easily. Uh, I will be at the game, and I don't want for any sort of close halftime shenanigans with this team. Um, it doesn't look like they're too injured, obviously, aside from the guys who are out from the season, that being Michael Matus, Jacob Newell, and Joey Ramos. Um, looking at sundevilsource.com, uh, Roe Torrance, uh, who left uh, the Oklahoma State game with an injury, he observed practice but did not practice. <coughs> Ed Woods as well, another cornerback, uh, he started in the NAU game. Um, and then two other backup defensive players as well. So not too bad on the injury front. Um, hopefully it stays that way for ASU. Um, and honestly, like I, you know, don't force Roe Torrance back in this game need to so yeah this seems like a good a good week to maybe uh let him recover a little bit see look at your depth see what happens that sort of thing yeah anyway on to some off the field stuff with the pac-12 uh earlier this was actually last week um september 6th uh asu ray anderson um they have a he has a show on 98.7 here in Phoenix uh, with ASU play-by-play guy Tim Healy. So it's it's more of like a Sun Devil Athletics type show. It's um, but still can be interesting information there. Um, on that show that's on Arizona Sports and you can listen to it on their website. He uh, and I got this by the way. Uh, I saw this on the Pac-12 Apostles Twitter page. So I do want to uh, give credit to that. Um, but anyway, he basically said about that that the upcoming TV deal uh, should be known in the next month or so. So I give it till let's see where we're at at Halloween. That's a month and a half from now. Um, so that should be interesting. He said he's not quote overly concerned unquote about teams leaving. So seems confident. We'll see. And then basically really strongly hinted at uh, expansion of the conference. Will that be picking off some Big 12 teams or will it just be uh, you know, kneecapping the Mountain West and getting all their best programs? And uh, also of, no, of, of note, kind of, is that the Mountain West commissioner stepped down today. So he had been their commissioner for like 20 years too. So. Mm. Interesting stuff. Let's see who gets poached. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, like we said earlier this year, at least with ASU, if Pac-12 does fall apart, you always got the Big 12 to go to. Um, but I think the Pac-12, even if they don't get quite as much money as they hope, um, the thing about staying together is now that the pack that the college football playoff has six automatic bids for the top six conference champions, that means that um, you have a better chance to actually possibly get to the playoff if within the Pac-12 and you stay within this conference. Um, so, and and the, the teams from the Mountain West would still go because they would get they would still be getting so much more money. I mean. The difference between the the revenue gap between the Power Five is huge between the Group of Five, and so they would really? like Boise State would come to the Pac-12, San Diego State would come to the Pac-12, Fresno. State That's what I was saying. Fresno State, Boise State, San Diego State, all possible. Yep, and for, like Fresno State has a real fan base too. Like, yeah, definitely. That Fresno State Oregon State game last weekend was like insane. You yeah, know? So, yeah, no, that was a really fun game to watch. Like. Not all Mountain West schools are created the same when it comes to, like, fan backing and even, like, tradition, for that matter. Like, it's not like we're adding, like, New Mexico or Wyoming, you know. Like, yeah. those schools, they, there's no, like, there's no growth potential of those schools to actually become, like, a, a functional member of a uh, bigger conference. And, like, the same way that Utah has done. You think about yeah. it, like. What's the difference between Utah and San Diego State? They're both programs uh, that are in like the the biggest program in a fairly large market, right? Uh, and they've both been good as they entered into the bigger conference. So I feel like San Diego State's almost certain. But I'm just the, the other thing. This uh, Ray Anderson kind of quote that interested me is he just seemed very confident about it like it it seems like I mean I and he should have inside information he's the freaking AD um but it seems like they're they don't seem worried about it which I guess is good because I'm fine with going to the big 12 if we have to but I'm also not like pushing for it you know yeah I think (laughs) I think there might be there might be sort of a uh an arms race that forms between the Big 12 and the Pac-12, maybe, especially with the Yeah, especially with I wish they would just merge together, but I guess now now that there's the playoff bids go by conference, there's no point. Yeah, and I mean, there would be four conferences, right, in that case. There wouldn't be another Power 5, like a a fifth conference that steps up and fills that void for the, the conference that ceases to exist. I think... All five of those conferences are really trying to to stand on their own um, and, yep. and figure it out. Obviously, the Big Twelve poached a couple of those schools, um, you know, in the, in the wake of Oklahoma and Texas leaving, so they're growing in strength. It's it makes sense for the Pac twelve to follow suit and and go straight to the Mountain West and grab some of those. You know, uh, I'm looking at the teams here. I'm looking at you know Boise State, Fresno State, San Diego State. Um, even like Utah State stands out a little bit with the rivalry with, I mean, obviously yeah. being in the, Utah. The, one, the school I've heard mentioned actually is the, like, not heard from, just seen like reported about as like a potential fourth school is, uh, SMU, that that would get you into Texas. And even though they don't have a huge fan base in Texas, they, they do have like a lot of money. And so that's how they could 
Pro because they obviously have NIL deals at the Wazoo's. What what conference is SMU in? They're, they're in the, the American. Yeah, they, American. they're in the conference that Houston and Cincinnati are leaving. They're the basically them and Memphis are the two best programs left in that conference. Yeah, that that makes and sense. You wouldn't I, Memphis. That's ridiculous. It would kind of follow the trajectory too, with with the Big Twelve talking about how their their goal is to start posting teams out west. Um, it makes sense for you know the Pac twelve to. Start well, like SMU would, yeah, and, and I think SMU would join because they wanted to get in the Big 12 last year, but probably TCU probably didn't want them in because they share the same market. So we'll yeah. see. Um, you know, it's probably it's going to be in the thick of the season when we're not even thinking about it, and then all you know that's when the news will break. But um, who knows how it's going to wind up and what the TV deal will look like. But I guess if you're out there hoping that the Pac-12 survives and you kind of keep the same general uh, trips, for a lack of a better phrase, like you're, you're probably in luck when you combine this kind of news along with the news of the expanded playoff uh, that comes with the automatic bids for conference. So that's that. And then one more thing I wanted to talk about because – um, over the weekend, Scott Frost, or actually not, I think it was on Monday, or maybe it was on Sunday, I don't know. But uh, shortly after Nebraska fell to the Clay Hilton-led Georgia Southern, I think they're the Eagles. Uh, Wait, they really lost that game? I didn't even look. Yes, they lost four, Yes, they lost to Georgia Southern. Oh. That's crazy. <laughs> Sun, dude, the Sun Belt went into Nebraska and beat Nebraska, went into Notre Dame and won, and then obviously went into Texas A&M. That's freaking well, there's crazy. the conference that's going to step up for the Pac-12 when they get poached by the I Big know. 12. Yeah, that's why the <laughs> that's why the Pac-12 needs the, the they, they they have to fend off the Sun Belt. Um, but anyway, uh, he's Scott Frost is now fired, and now with the fire list, um, there's always the potential name who's going to be the next coach at Nebraska. Uh, is kind of what a lot of the college football world is wondering. <clears throat> Pete Thamel um, for ESPN tweets out, names to watch for Nebraska. Matt Campbell, Mark Stoops, Dave Miranda, Bill O'Brien, Lance Leipold, Jim Leonard, P.J. Fleck, Chris Kleiman, Dave Doran, Sam Pittman, Alex Grinch, Matt Entz. I don't even know who that is. Brett Bielma, Jamie Chadwell, and Troy Calhoun. The reason I bring this up is not that AS – and like almost – I'd say over half of those guys are current Power 5 head coaches, so they probably wouldn't even go to ASU. But the reason I bring this up is watch for one of these names if and when a coaching move hopefully gets made after this season because Nebraska will probably get the best candidate, but maybe ASU is gets the second best candidate of these guys. And a guy that I really – like, for example, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, he's not going to come here. Mark Stoops at Kentucky, he's not coming here. Dave Aranda at Baylor, not coming here. Bill O'Brien, I wouldn't want him anyway. <laughs> like, We're in the Urban Meyer sweepstakes. How would you react if we brought in Urban Meyer? I don't know how anybody could after everything that's happened. You it's know, crazy like, because he's not a good guy, and I spoke about this on the last show. Um for a litany of reasons. Like, we all know why if you're following college football. And just schemey, or, you know, skeevy, and just 
the typical like obnoxious college football coach that looks the other way on a lot of bad stuff. Uh, but he also wins like everywhere he goes in college. And so I don't think it's going to happen with Urban, but it, it would be interesting. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a big name. I mean, he just got. He would love Mel. <laughs> There'd be a lot of a lot of videos of him uh, entertaining female company. Could you imagine him, like after a big win, just going on a party bus up to Scottsdale? <laughs> he he would He's be like a regular. sticking his head out the window of the, the lads they have there. <laughs> he would be a regular at Varsity Tavern. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He'd be in the dance floor when those bad techno bands. Yeah, I feel like yeah. Mill is probably more Urban Meyer speed than uh, Old Town, though. That's true. Like, I feel like he would just, you know, go bum around on Mill on one of the two bars that are that are still open and <laughs> call it a night with yeah. not his wife. For sure. And granted, he's not the only college football coach that would do something like that. Anyway. He, there's no way, Mark. Every other college football coach is a virtuous and yeah. faithful man. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to the coaching list. Probably not Urban Meyer, but uh, he, he lists Bill O'Brien for Nebraska. I mean, Lance Leipold at Kansas, and Kansas is 2-0. and I think that would be – if ASU could get Lance Leipold, that would be sweet. I don't think he would leave ASU. Um, Jim Leonard, Wisconsin defensive coordinator. I would not hate that for ASU because that's a that's the type of move that you could actually see happening too because he hasn't been a head coach before, and he's you can still trot out all the NFL you you know pro model stuff because he played for the Jets recently. I wonder if Herb Edwards coached him. I don't think they I don't think they overlapped, but he was on like the Rex Ryan Jet. But anyway, Jim Leonard that's a name to watch for. PJ Fleck at Minnesota he's not coming here. Chris Kleiman at K-State, I doubt that you would come here. Dave Dorn at NC State, I don't even know why some of these guys would leave their jobs for Nebraska. He's not coming here. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, not coming here. Alex Grinch is is USC's defensive coordinator, I mean, maybe. Uh, Matt Entz, I don't even know who that is. Brett Bielma at Illinois, I don't see him leaving the Big Ten. Then Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. If ASU could get him, that would be awesome. I would love to have him. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when you're looking at these these names and you're thinking like, oh yeah, like I but I guess I feel like Nebraska is is isn't this like glamorous place anymore either. It's kind of like a Texas where it's like it, it is. It, yeah. You know, Texas was great at one point, you know, and now it's kind of like Hey, they almost beat Alabama. They almost won. Dude, I was watching that game and it was crazy. That end, that whiff on that sack had just oh, I think, I think it was a linebacker, but yeah, whoever whoever was rushing and whiffed on that sack, um, but yeah, you know they're they're kind of in that that Texas territory where it's like oh yeah, they were once great, and and I feel like a lot of coaches kind of have that in my like that that, or it would make sense if coaches had that goal to return the once prominent school back to relevance or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like a lot of these guys are probably happy. Like a guy like Jamie Chadwell has completely built that program, you know? Yeah, like, but 
That, that's true, but I mean, they, uh, these guys at the lower level leave eventually most of the time. That's, that, that's true, it, but you know, look at like I just don't think he would leave for Nebraska. Look at Scott Frost. You know, he was like <laughs> the hottest hot coaching oh, exactly. candidate in that. Um, you know, after the Cycle, UCF yeah. won the national championship or whatever. You know, they he did. won. Yeah, you know, he won a national championship. Yeah, with yeah in the nineties. No, I'm saying when UCF went undefeated and they oh, said right. they were actually the national champions. Um, and then he left. Or was that? No, that wasn't Hoople yet. That was still Frost. And then they hired Hoople and now Hoople's at, or Hoople, however you say it. Hoople is now at, uh, Josh Hoople. It looks like Hoople. No, I know. It, it kind of does. I didn't know this was a phonetics podcast, Mark. <laughs> I didn't even know. And then we were practicing phonics on the show tonight. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it makes sense, but Scott Frost is going to be kind of a cautionary tale. It's like, yeah, go jump ship to try to build a, a program. Yeah. It doesn't always work out. So, well, the thing, but, but the reason why Nebraska and Texas are still more attractive than ASU is just because they just have so much more money. Like yeah. Nebraska, Nebraska paid Scott Frost 15 million to F off. Like, yeah. and if they, and, and by the way, if they waited till October 1st, to fire him, they couldn't even wait what like half a month or maybe three weeks by the when he was actually fired. They couldn't even wait that long, and they would have saved like seven and a half million dollars. But in the big in the Big Ten at Nebraska, you just have so much money; it doesn't matter. So, um, but the, but Colton, you're right about a lot of these um, these names on here. In that, I don't think they're going to leave for Nebraska anyway. Like Matt Campbell, he's had so many opportunities to leave Iowa State. I don't think. Maybe he goes for Nebraska. I don't know. I feel Probably like he was even mentioned in like NFL head coaching hire cycles. He's like, no, the, the the Lions offered him like a huge deal, and he turned yeah. it down. And so I think people just need to realize he's probably not leaving Iowa State. Um, Mark Stoops at Kentucky, I, he has Kentucky rolling right now, and he's in the SEC. Like I don't think he would leave for Nebraska that has been just bad this whole decade. Or the, since 2010, basically, since in a in a Big Ten that is now adding USC and UCLA. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. And the Dave road Miranda's is even more difficult. Like the the only reason if you leave if you're Dave Aranda is for money, but I would rather be the head coach at Baylor than Nebraska because it's easier to win the Big Twelve and there's not like you can go. There's just less um, crazy of a fan base in that sense. Yeah, and you you'd have to keep. Consider job security too. Obviously, it's I mean, exactly, if yes. you're if you're leaving one of these schools, somebody's going to throw a ton of money at you, and you're going to have a huge buyout in your deal. But you know, if you want to leave, it's probably so that you can try to build this team back to what it was. But you're probably not going to have enough time to do that, especially when your conference <laughs> is strengthened. You know, like yeah, it, sure. you have to consider that as well. I. The big name that jumps out to me here is is Bill O'Brien. You know, like, it, it's always those, I, I don't want to say disgraced, but you look at, like, Steve Sarkeesian and Bill O'Brien and these guys that just joined Alabama staff. Mildly Lane Kiffin is another one. What did you say? Mildly disgraced. Yeah. I mean, like, Lane Kiffin, too. Obviously right. not not disgraced, but got fired from USC and, um, everything that happened with him. Now he's the head coach at Ole Miss. Sark is obviously the head coach at um, Texas. At Texas. So Bill O'Brien is a name that makes sense on that list. He's obviously done it before at the college he level. Wasn't, 
Yeah, he wasn't terrible at Penn State. He's no, he was just, terrible as a GM. But exactly, you don't and, have and to trade players in college. Yes. So. And one thing Bill O'Brien always kind of suffered from in the NFL, even though he was like taking like nine and seven Texans teams to the playoffs that didn't have a quarterback. Like he was just an asshole, and so just people just are, are naturally not going to like you as much. Um, yeah. He's kind of, he's kind of the Bill uh, uh, the Brian Kelly of the NFL, except Brian Kelly's a little more successful. But yeah, made, and I mean Bill O'Brien is probably regulated to college now, or relegated rather, relegated to college now. Anyway, no NFL team is going to touch him again. I don't think. I don't think. Um, He's an option for ASU. I don't think if you're ASU, you go to two former. No, no, I'm saying for Nebraska, which I guess kind of got derailed on the point. But to loop this back around to like an ASU-centric angle, um, that would be the only name that makes sense for Nebraska if I'm looking at this list from Pete Thamel, which would mean any other name other than, I guess, coaches who, who get fired could be in play for ASU. But I none of the other names on that list make sense for Nebraska, yeah. I think. I, I, Bill O'Brien stands up the most. Yeah, well, and exactly. So who knows what Nebraska does? Honestly, I don't really care. I kind of like it when Nebraska's bad. I think it's kind of Yeah, funny. it's kind of funny. It, it, it is funny. It's For whatever reason, it just is. Um, the only two from – so Troy Calhoun is the last one. He's at Air Force. Yeah. He's not really mentioned with ASU. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he said some weird, like, weird stuff come out, weird comments uh, when he was kind of in the running for another Power 5 job. So I don't I don't really want him. Um, Chad Wells, who I'm really leaning in on, or Jim Leonard. Those are the two from this uh, Pete Thamel tweet. That, like, obviously it's a tweet about Nebraska, but it's saying who are the second-tier guys on the list that an ASU could swoop in and take, and maybe he's an up-and-comer. Um Another – a few other names to mention for a potential ASU head coaching change at the end of the season would be um, – it would be so sweet if we could get um guy in the Panthers, Matt Rule. If we could get Matt Rule, even if it's only for, like, three years, that would be 100% worth it. I don't care that he's, like – he's technically, yeah, he's from the NFL, but he, like – he's made a success coaching college at Temple. And yeah. So – he that is be, true. I feel like that, that. I feel like if you're Nebraska, that's who you want the most is Matt Rule. Um, and this one, this one, I think is my number one choice if I could just pick any reality. I want Dion. Dion Sanders. Oh, yeah, Sanders. Arizona State head coach. Jackson State is legitimately like a really good FCS team now. Like, I, I, I would love for Dion. Ryan? Well, because think of so, so much of college, like coaching, being a head coach isn't even really about, it's not about the X's and O's or just about being kind of a salesman, you know? I mean, he got Travis Hunter you know? to go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's kind of like what ASU wanted to do with Herm Edwards. But yes. Yes. Jackson State. Um, but the problem is the people actually, who made the ASU made decision sense. were, yeah, were middle-aged men. ASU botched what they were trying to do, and Jackson State just did it right. Yeah. So, hey, maybe ASU can hire Try again. Me. Yeah, exactly. And get if, I don't know Brown. who they'll get. If they get anyone, I could very well – oh, gosh, I don't know. Or, like, hey, maybe we have an internal promotion. Um, yeah, that's, that's what seems like the most likely scenario is an internal promotion. Um, or who Bonner. knows? 
running back coach, former Chandler coach, has connections. I wouldn't hate that. I don't, I'd yeah. like, I would not hate that. Running backs have, have performed extremely well, yeah. obviously. Has those guys ready to play? Yeah. Um, I, I guess what makes the most sense, just based on the last, you know, hiring cycle and everything, is is promoting from within, and especially, you know, ASU has to kind of look around and and see all of the guys that coached under Todd Graham now holding prominent positions around college football, a lot of them. yeah, and think like maybe there's a viable candidate in our building right now. Maybe we should look at those guys a little, yeah. um, with a little more intent, I guess. And, and, um, one thing to remember, and one thing to remember with a coaching search is there's not one, like, way that you should hire a head coach. It's kind of random. Like, mm-hmm. when Scott Frost was hired, that was an A-plus hire. And you know what? It still was. on the, Based on their decision-making, like, they hired a guy who went uh, 12-0, and 0 and he is from Nebraska. He has, you know, a cool offense. Like, it just didn't work out. But – I would have done it again, you know, and so knowing what we know, I mean, we don't know the in, back, you know, inside information or anything, but. Um, I wonder if Ray Anderson, no, they probably didn't overlap. It's like, I wonder if Ray Anderson ever worked with Deion Sanders. Probably not, but. When he was working in the NFL. I'm, I bet they've met each other at some point. Oh, for sure. Let's see. Um. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look into this. The guy at Marshall, too, Charles Huff. Um, he, I, I think he's been. I'm gonna look this up too. This, this. So Marshall over the weekend they beat uh, Notre Dame in Notre Dame Stadium, and if you watch the game, it wasn't even like, it didn't look like uh, Marshall pulled it out of their, pulled it out of their ass to win. It was a very like well-played game. Um, yeah, so Charles Huff, he is in his second year at Marshall, 9-6 and six record. <coughs> uh, 2-0 and this year, so that means they went 7-6 and six last year. Um, but the thing that really intrigues me is he has been an assistant, a running backs coach at Penn State, at Mississippi State, at Alabama, in all since 2014. So that means he's had to recruit awesome players to be at their school. Because if, if you're at Penn State and you're at Alabama, you have to be in on the best players to come to your school. And if you're at Mississippi State, you still have to be in on pretty dang good players too. So um, he also uh, – oh, he, he, only, he only has one year. He was an assistant running Look back. Look at Mike Leach. 2012. <laughs> Mike Leach. He's not leaving the SEC. Oh, I know. That would be magic. Oh, yeah, that would have been fun in the past. But the thing is with the coach, I think, like, ultimately hire whoever is the best coach. But if it's a tie, go with the guy with the exciting offense. Because if it's a tie, because, you know, we know this fan base, you need to give them some sizzle as well. And if you're, you know, running the air raid or something like that, um, or whatever, just some some other type of fun offense like Jamie Chadwell does. It's kind of a uh, a twist on the option what they do at Coastal Carolina. That will bring some attention in, you know. And yeah. It, 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 the quicker, like if you make a totally different move than Herm Edwards, it just totally changes 
the feel um, about ASU football, and like, like we've seen it with USC. I mean, USC football this time last year was feeling worse than we feel now about ASU football. You know, speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of USC, you know who would be interesting is Graham Harrell. Yeah, I don't know if it would ever happen, but. I just don't know if he's like that good because I don't think USC's off because he's not on USC anymore. No, I know he's on West Virginia, but and they're own two. Yeah, but they score. I don't know. I'm just googling names. No, it's, I mean it's not the worst. Yeah, it's not the worst idea. We have to build a staff, okay? But still, I don't know. You want to you want to get a guy in there that maybe is a little younger. Well, yeah, you definitely want that. Like just, he's been in the Pac-12 before. That's true. So, there is there is potential. Um, yeah. So we'll see. There'll be a lot of names to watch in the coming months. Um, and you know, Robert Rodriguez, defensive line coach, Sean Aguano, those are two that pop out on the ASU staff. And those Internal are probably hires. are those I mean, those are probably ASU's two best position groups too. If you think about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. So, and position groups of guys who actually like committed here too, not just <clears throat> transfers. So Anyway, yeah, um, a would be cool. That'd be a really cool story for like a local high school guy. I, I mentioned this. He he knows all the high school coaches. Yeah, especially the ones in the East Valley where you really have to recruit. So that's that's another thing, and you can kind of reestablish uh, a more Arizona centric recruiting approach because the Cali Devils thing under Antonio Pierce, it was cool when it was working. Once it stopped working, now you still have the reputation of Cali Devils and ignoring ASU kids, but you're also not getting kids in California. What about Graham Harrell and we start a new charge called the West Virginia Devils, and he just recruits from his own backyard? West Arizona Devils. Yeah. Well, speaking of West Virginia, all right, they lost 38-31 to, at the time, number 17 Pitt, all right? Then they lost 55 to 42. Graham Harrell doesn't run the defense, Mark. I understand. I understand. Yeah, he, no, that's he true. He scores points. He's, he's underrated. All right. I'm a big Graham Harrell guy now. Oh boy. All right. Well, you, hey, next year when ASU has Graham Harrell leading the charge, you, you heard it here first. Yeah. Take the sound bite you from our show. First. That's right. I'll dig back into the archives. Um, all right, well, that kind of wraps up episode 10. Colton, you got any uh, final thoughts? Not really. Just a pleasure to be back. Um, I hope to never sleep through the show again. Um, so it's it's great to be on another one with you, Mark. Yeah. Hey, I, I didn't. I just said you weren't able to make it. I didn't. I didn't give him a reason. So you didn't go into details. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, yeah, folks, I slept through the show. That's what happened. <laughs> hey, we've all been there. All right. Well. Uh, that wraps up episode 10, and go Devils.